It's the Ambiguously Blind Podcast with your host, a guy that's great up hearing, but terrible at listening, John Grimes. Hey, hey, hey. Greetings. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in, subscribing, and supporting the podcast experience. We are going to hear from Andre Van Hall. Andre is a pretty fascinating guy who is an author and a uh, keynote and motivational speaker on change. And if there's anybody that knows change, it is, uh, it's Andre. Among many changes in his life, uh, the one that I became aware of him by is a vision change later in life, similar to mine, kind of out of the blue. Andre experienced uh, vision loss. And so uh, his book, The Curiosity of Change, is a tremendous read. It's pretty quick. I suggest you check it out. There's a link to it in the show notes of the podcast as well. He talks about the changes that have occurred in his life and his vision change and how he copes with that and moved forward and how he teaches uh, through his writing and in his speeches and addresses about how people can address change in their life. It really can apply to to any change in, in really anybody's life. So let's just get down to it with the man himself. Hey, Andre, thanks a bunch for joining the Ambiguously Blind podcast. Well, John, delighted to be a part of it. A friend of mine saw you speak at an event several months ago and said, you need to talk to Andre Van Hall. He is a fascinating guy. So here we are. I, I got him fooled. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I detect, so I'm in Texas. I think you're, are you in Colorado? Is that right? I am in Colorado, yeah. Denver. I detect a kind of a southern, uh, far south Texas accent. I can't exactly place it. But, <laughs> it's deep, deep south. Yeah, okay. It's so Ar- Argentinian. Argentina, wow. Yes, you cannot go much farther south than that. Yeah, that's true. So Argentina to Colorado. Yes, but a long way around. Yeah, but, uh, I, I, you're right. I've, uh, since becoming aware of you, I've read your book, The Curiosity of Change. And you, right. sir, are no stranger to change. So how does a guy end up being from Argentina and end up in Colorado? Well, in Argentina, military service was compulsory. And uh, when I, after boot camp, I was fortunate enough to be uh, sent to headquarters where I ended up being a waiter for the officers. And I loved the idea of being in the hospitality industry. And my mom was devastated. She wanted a doctor, an engineer. She might have considered an attorney, (laughs) but not a hospitality guy. (laughs) So she said, if you put up with a job that I get you for one year, I'll pay for your education. So she sent me to Hamburg, Germany, and the Hotel Vierjahreszeit, in which, according to Travel and Leisure magazine in 1973, was one of the top 10 hotels in the world. So very high-end, very, very formal hotel. And I started as a pot washer and then dishwasher, and then I went through all the positions. And then a year and a half later, my job manager says, hey, Andre, my buddy at the Ritz in Paris, need someone with your skills. So the next day I was on a train to Paris. And I lived in the Ritz for a year. And I well, was that's a telex. Yeah. It was rough. <laughs> and uh, so I was a telex operator, which is a old, old, ancient device. Nobody knows what it is anymore. What is that? A telex machine. 
that like the precursor maybe to a phone or a fax machine or something like that? Yeah, it so it it you had a telex directory of the world and all the all the machines had a direct number. So you would dial the number from the machine and you would type and whatever I typed the 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 electric typewriter at the other end would type the same things. So it was the instant messaging of oh, the 60s yeah. and 70s. It's like 70s. text messaging for yeah, okay, instant messenger. All right. Yeah. Yeah, you were technology guy. Way back in the day. Way back then. All right. And, uh, and then I got admitted to Cornell University Hotel School, and I came here to the States, and uh, that was 76. And when I graduated in 80, I uh, worked in hotels in New York City, then in Miami, then Washington, D.C., then Burlington, Vermont, then Atlanta, then Louisville, Kentucky, and now finally here in Denver. I've now lived in Denver for a little over 20 years. And that's the longest I lived anywhere, even including my native Argentina. Yeah, wow. Okay, so that does sound like so you got some stability in Colorado. Finally, yes. Much needed. Yeah, I guess so. So tell me what it was like leaving Argentina for Germany at age, what, 18 or 19 or something? I was about 20, and um, it, it was, uh, you know, a mixed thing. Um, it was very exciting. Uh, it was scary. I didn't speak a, a word of German. And I was going to go work at uh, one of the most prestigious hotels in the world with absolutely no credentials, nothing. And even though I started as a pot washer, um, I was full of trepidation. And uh, I arrived there and uh, it was a position with, with, we had rooms in the hotel for the staff. And they put me in this room that was a tiny little room. Think uh, maybe a uh, in a train, a uh, compartment in a train with four bunks. And I was sharing that with three Turkish guys. And I didn't speak a word of Turkish. And these guys were all heavy smokers and drinkers. And uh, it was hard. Uh, I very quickly called my mom and says, Mom, I, I'll put up with a job and not <laughs> in living conditions. Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, so uh, I, I had to do some adjustment, and um, but uh, you know what? Um, for a long time, I played the victim, and uh, I was what they call in Germany a Gastarbeiter, which translates to guest worker, which is the immigration status. So the lowest of the lowest of the totem pole, right? I mean, I've got the lowest job in the kitchen. I'm an immigrant from Latin America. I don't speak German. So all of us foreigners would go to a bar and shoot pool and commiserate and hate the Germans. And one day I woke up and I'm going like, this is stupid. I didn't come here to be a victim. I came here to learn. And uh, so I started dating a German girl. I started to really perfect my German. And then it was hard because I was straddling, you know, two sides, right? I mean, I was no longer really feeling any empathy for the, my fellow immigrants. But I was an immigrant and was not really accepted by the Germans. So it, it was a tough position to be in. Yeah, I bet. You're, so you're kind of assimilating, I guess, is kind of what you were doing. Yes. and uh, But also learning that uh, life throws you opportunities and it's up to you to grab them. And uh, you can go there and feel sorry for yourself. And... Uh, and then call mom one day and say, yeah, this is not working. I'm coming back home. Mm -hmm. Or you take charge of responsibility. You say, I'm going to learn something. I'm going to do it differently. And uh, 
I need to put all my energy behind this. And I did. You know, it, it was a rough transition, uh, leaving super conservative, uh, Catholic Argentina to, uh, <clears throat> well, I mean, uh, Hamburg, Germany has the Reeperbahn, St. Pauli, which is the reddest red district in the world. Yikes. And uh, so very different culture, very different mentality. And, uh, and in, in retrospect, I enjoyed it. Uh, when I was starting out, it was hard. But then I met a couple of other guys from uh, Argentina and uh, from Ecuador. And together we rented an apartment. And, uh, and I was dating this wonderful German girl. And uh, so life turned around. It was awesome. I loved it. And then I moved to Paris and Paris was living at the Ritz and, uh, you know, with a good income. It was fantastic. I loved it. So uh, I, things turned around. I also I, I had taken some French when I was in uh, the military service. I went to the Alliance Francaise. And uh, so um, all of a sudden, I'm you know, speaking five languages. And that's why I was a telex operator. And I was sending telexes for Charlie Chaplin and Coco Chanel and Barbara Hutton and Mick Jagger and uh, you name it. Yeah, so, nice. Those are some names. So what language yeah. are you speaking at this time? Spanish from Argentina and uh, German, Dutch, because my father was Dutch and we grew up speaking Dutch at home. And then uh, French and English. Engli wow. I went to a British school in Argentina, a British boarding school in Argentina. Wow. So languages uh, came easily to me. I cannot carry a tune in a wheelbarrow, but, <laughs> I, <laughs> but I can uh, speak languages. And now I'm rusty. Yeah, well, on, on a side note, would you agree that it's much easier for, for the younger folks to learn multiple languages? Oh, no question. I mean, look how smart two-year-old Chinese kids are. They already speak Chinese. <laughs> 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 but uh, so, yes, I mean, it's the younger you are. Um, I, so in, in, in French and in German, my vocabulary right now is very restricted, right? Even in Spanish, because when I left Argentina uh, 40 years, nearly 50 years ago, you know, um, computers didn't exist. And my whole professional language, think how much language has evolved over the last 50 years. All new words, what was a modem? What is it? What was mm -hmm. a telex, right? And so on yeah. and so forth. And uh, so all of that language, I'm completely ignorant in, in my German or French or even Spanish and Dutch. So English is, is really my primary language. Yeah, well, that's um, that's good because I speak English pretty much only. So my, my Spanish is very limited to, uh, well, very limited. I'll just put it that way. So we, we would. So you're, lim you're a native Texan? Yeah, sort of. <laughs> Actually, no, sort I'm of. not. No, I'm not. Uh, I, I'm not from Texas, but I got here as soon as I could. That's that's the way we say it here. I'm from uh -huh. Ohio, actually. I'm a, I'm a Yankee. I was born okay. in Ohio and we moved, my family moved from Ohio to Texas when I was uh, 13. So I was in middle school. Wow. Here in Colorado, they say that if you're not second or third generation, you're not a native. Yeah. Well, so I have kids <laughs> and although I've lived in Texas now for 30 years, uh, my children that were born in Texas are more native than I am. So, yeah. 
Yes, they are. <laughs> yes, that's, they that's are. how it works. <laughs> and I'm okay with that. I, I love Texas. I love it's it's great. I, I don't want to go anywhere else. It's a wonderful state. You guys have a lot going for you. I, I can deal with the fact that I don't have native status, but I do love my roots in Ohio and I have a lot of great, there's a lot of, you know, Ohio's called the heart of it all. It's, it's a tremendous state and, you know, it's got a lot of history in one of the early states of the union. So uh, it's a great state, but it's awfully cold up there. And it is. I, I lived in like Louisville, cold. Kentucky. Yeah. And uh, so our international airport was the Cincinnati airport. Yeah. So, uh, Ohio is just an hour away. Yeah, just over the river there. And I, I've been to Louisville and spent a lot of time in Cincinnati. i got to ask you this. This is kind of, I don't know if you were prepared for this one or not, but have you ever had Cincinnati-style chili? I have not. You haven't? Okay. Well, I have a, not. It's a pretty big player in Louisville and, and obviously in Cincinnati. Um, uh-huh. It's tremendous. It so is, what is the difference? Well, so it's chili, right? I mean, you know what chili is. but I know, but... So, so does chili in Texas have beans or no beans? Ah, uh, okay. Well, here, yeah. So, I like <laughs> beans in my chili, but again, I'm from Ohio, so. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, I, if I'm going to make, which I do make chili, I make chili with like ancho chili uh, peppers, and I, I try to make it as kind of like scratch as I can with as real ingredients as opposed to out of a package. As do, as do I. Yeah. Yes. And so, I, I put beans in mine. I do. I like beans in my chili, but. Okay. Again, I'm not a native Texan, so you're you're not getting the real you know the real deal. Um, but I think most people I know around, at least around me, wouldn't be offended if there's beans in the chili. In it, yeah. So you know how I like to make uh, my chili sometimes is I take my Dutch oven, yeah, and put it in my smoker, and I cook it slow and long in the smoker. That's um, that's a good way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, it, 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 it gets that additional dimension of the uh, smoke. You get the extra flavor from that. Now, okay, so yeah. we're getting way off topic now, which is great. <laughs> Talk to me about your smoker. Uh, what, do, what do you use for that? I use a Kamado Joe. Are you familiar with those? Yeah, I am. And, uh, so I fully computerized it. Yeah. And uh, so I've got a, a tablet and uh, an iPad. Yeah, and it uh, so it talks to my the computer talks well, it transmits to my iPad and my yeah. iPad with voiceover, so then I know what the pit temperature is and I know what my probe temperatures are and mm -hmm. uh, yeah, uh, so I absolutely adore it and I have all of the different attachments to do all kinds of things and uh, right. how about you? Uh, well, I don't be offended here, okay, and and I'm not okay. offended with your Kamado Josta. I'm a big green egg guy. Okay, good. Those are, those are kind of rivals in that space. Um, they are. But I got to tell you, the so the reason I, I became an egg guy in 2018, so it's been about four years. Oh, you're new. Yes, you're I new. am. I am. So I became an egg guy because of somebody that I found on, on YouTube. There's a guy named uh, Chris Peltz who's become a really good friend of mine. Uh, he has a YouTube channel called Blind Grilling, and he has uh, retinitis pigmentosa and is essentially totally blind, has some light perception, but he has a catering business uh, that he cooks on his, uh, he uses Big Green Egg, and he uses wow. some adaptive equipment. There's a, a what's it called, a um, the uh, temperature regulator 
called the Flame yeah. Boss. I don't know if you ever heard of the Flame Boss, but it's a no, but it's similar to what I have. Yeah, probably. it's it's a similar yeah. deal. So it, it yeah right. So I have my Flame Boss uh, plugs connects to the to the big green egg, probably very similar to how yours does. To and the air me, intake. Yes, through the top. Yeah, and it has a fan that goes on the bottom. And yeah. it will alternate the temperature up or down depending upon how yeah. I need it to be, and it will it will hold a temperature. And I can do that from my um, i my a- Apple devices. I I use Alexa for mine, uh, just because it's super easy to say, "Hey, Alexa, change the pit temp or what's the temperature yeah. or whatever." And so, yes, I cannot begin to explain the freedom that that is provided me for cooking it's yeah it is unreal what the technology can do it so much so that uh, my daughter's wedding was uh, 185 people and i fully catered it from my smoker wow so i pre-smoked beef tenderloin and pork tenderloin and then uh, some trout and uh and i had the carving stations and there was people carving and i started smoking days before yeah. and uh, nice. it, it was it was fun well that's interesting i didn't know that about you so what what is your favorite thing to cook on your kamada joe oh you know i mean i love making pizzas mm-hmm. and i love pizza and uh, so uh and, and that's the thing is that you can get really high temperature with super it. high yeah very yeah. high so you can do a Napolitan pizza, which is the one where you you get uh, the leoparding on the on the crust mm-hmm. because of the high high temperature. Yeah. But uh, otherwise, you know, I, I mean, um, brining and uh, smoking trout, it, uh, it's uh, it's something you go to Costco buy the big big side of trout, and uh, it's like a salmon. It's nearly the same color. Uh, but uh, it comes out unbelievably good, and, you know. And I, it's it's as I said, you know. I I, I do. Um, have you heard of paella? Yes, I've heard of it. I have not had it or made it. Okay, so the traditional Spanish paella was done by super super poor people in the forest, and they would do a wood fire and put the pan right on the fire, and throw in some broth and some rice and whatever they found in mm-hmm. the forest mushrooms, snails, uh, rabbit. And the uh, paella has evolved over the years to a very sophisticated dish with seafood and clams and scallops and whatever. And of course, saffron is, is one of the key ingredients. Mm-hmm. But the egg is perfect, perfect for cooking a paella because it's a round pan. It's a very thin, thin pan because once you remove it from the heat, you want it to stop cooking. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, but uh, so I love having a show where I prep everything ahead of time. It's like literally like 20 things that go into it. And I have it all prepped. I put it all in a certain order so I know where it is. And then I cook it with my friends sipping wine around the egg as we chit-chat and, and cook. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. What about you? What is it you prefer to make? You know, this is Texas, right? I, I should cook a lot more fish. That That would... That'd be a good idea. So salmon and trout and things, but we cook a lot of uh, briskets and uh, yeah, of course. I like uh, pork pork butt and uh, pork ribs. Okay, you do burnt ends. I no, I'm a I'm a lean kind of guy. I I generally like the lean part, but we um, 
so I have a young family and my, my family is not as into barbecue as I am. So I'm kind of a one man. Well, of course I, I'm a one man <laughs> cook, but, uh, I'm a one man eater for most of it. So, but just today we cooked hamburgers on the grill okay. today. So we do a lot of, uh, I have young kids on the green egg or you do yes. that on the gas grill on the green egg. Yeah. So I don't, I don't have a grass grill. All I have is the egg. And I got to tell you, four or five years ago, I would have told you that you'd be crazy to tell me that I'd have a, a charcoal grill. Uh, yeah. Because I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to control it. I feel like I'm going to like hurt myself, um, yeah. you know, just touching around it because you can, most grills are, you know, metal and they get super duper hot. And yeah. of course, with your Kamado style, they're ceramic. So even though they're very hot, even if you touch the outside of your grill, um, yeah. I mean, you'll, you'll move your hand out of reflex, but you're not going to burn yourself. You're just going to sense no. that it's hot and, yeah. and you're not going to leave any skin <laughs> on, but the, you know on the side that of the, your grill. The Kamado gr uh, grill was invented in Japan mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah. you know, thousands of years ago. And uh, traditionally what they might do is, is, is cook in the egg outside and then they had handles and they would then close the lid, which then stops using oxygen mm -hmm. and, and kills the, it down. Yep. Yeah. But it stays hot to heat the uh, hut Their or house, the place yeah. that, mm -hmm. the, yeah. And uh, so they, for them, it was a double purpose. Very efficient. Thing. Yeah. It certainly does stay warm for quite some time. A, a long time. What is your favorite uh, wood? Uh, I use cherry. Thing? I'm weird. Me too. I, I love cherry. You I like love cherry? nuts. I love cherry and I love nuts. Okay. I love, you know, wal walnuts yep. and uh, stuff like that. Yeah. Probably my, it's cherry is number one. Uh, number two is going to be oak. Um, there's this thing about Texas. We like oak and um, I like, I like nuts too. And of course, mesquite. I don't really like mesquite, but like mesquite yeah. is literally a Texas city, which is like 20, yes. 30 minutes from me. So yeah, you know, we've got mesquite, but I my number one choice is always cherry. I like cherry. Mesquite, I think it's it imparts it it's it, it's very strong flavor. It's very strong, and it's kind of generic. It's like you just kind of it's very generic barbecue flavor, mesquite yeah. wood, and so you know. But um, we cook a lot of uh, hamburgers a lot, and because my my kids like like those and I, they say I make the best hamburgers, which I'm going to try to keep that ruse going as long as I can, you know, you betcha. Yes. But one of the things that I learned from my friend, Chris Peltz at blind grilling about cooking hamburgers was, so I have a, a fish basket. Um, it's, it was designed by for fish and it's made by Weber. And what happens is, uh, the, the place that I, that we uh, grocery near us makes these little what they call sliders or kind of mini burgers. Yeah. And this fish basket that's about 30 bucks. You can get it on Amazon or wherever you buy grilling stuff holds 12 of these slider style. Oh, burgers. love it. So what I do is I put, can flip them. I so flip easy 12 then. burgers in one motion. Yeah. And smart. I don't know about you, but if you had to flip 12 burgers on your grill, how are you going to do I that? Destroy them. Right. I destroy them. <laughs> if you even flip them, because I, I tried before and I I'd flip them and you know, I can't even tell if I flipped them. Cause I, I don't know if it turned over and I'd have to have somebody watching me. And so this yeah. is genius. So I, I put these things in the, the fish basket. It fits exactly on my, my egg. And I 
I flipped the whole thing with one motion and it's, I know it flipped and yeah. it's, it's great. It so is, you close the lid when you have the basket or you cannot yes. close the lid? I close, okay. yeah, it closes. It, it fits perfectly. Um, and when I cook them, um, I just, I leave the lid closed. I cook them for at about 350 degrees for about 23 or four minutes. So I, I'll put them in and I'll leave them for 10 minutes. I'll open, I'll flip them for another 10 minutes. And then from there, I just kind of monitor what I, what I feel like they're going to be done. But some of the things for, for us, and we haven't even gotten into to you yet as far as vision stuff, but you know, we have to kind of, we, we, we don't cook by sight, right? We don't cook by what it looks like. Um, right. We cook by, we, we have a temperature, which is why the, the regulator the is so important. Yep. Um, yep. So we know what the temperature is, even though there's a gauge on the front of it, I can't see the gauge. Um, right. So I know what the temperature is. I know what I'm cooking. Uh, it does take some practice, not a lot, but you know, a few repetitions to get it down. And, and now that I've got my technique down years and years later, uh, it's I'm a, I'm a robot as far as cooking those yeah, types of things. You make the best burger in town. Exactly. At least, at least yeah. as far as my kids are concerned, right? Which is all, like, <laughs> That's all that all counts right now. <laughs> um, but so the other thing too that I'll mention is I like to cook brats too. And um, so there's brats are kind of in a similar category to hamburgers where you got to flip them or roll them depending upon how you how you do it. And yeah. my buddy Chris taught me this tremendous way to do that. And you use a a skewer yeah i was just gonna say a skewer yeah and you put yeah um five or six of them on a skewer and yeah. you basically flip them kind of like you're turning the page of a book um you just rotate them over long ways and you've flipped them all with again one motion so yeah i do there, two there are two two brats on a two skewer skewers. yeah i usually two have skewers. i usually have 10 right i they, they come in i usually buy johnsonville um, unless I can find some some better ones at another store I go to, but no, no. What I'm saying is, is I skewer my brats at, 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 with two oh, skewers, one on both at ends. each end. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, that that would both be even ends. even easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I I know that one of them didn't. Uh, yeah, move around or or wiggle yes. over or yeah, because they do have a tendency to kind of kind of move around on you, but have uh, their own mind. Exactly. Yes, especially with. When the skin begins to break and yeah. stuff, and and you're standing yeah. over a you know extremely hot of a uh, grill, and you got to be kind of quick when you're doing things. So sure. Well, that's interesting. Yep. You know, I I mentioned to, to ask you about if you're a griller. That's great. I love grilling. I do too. In fact, I just uh, tonight. Well, I didn't grill it, but my outdoor. I have a gas grill too, and uh, I have a burner on it. And tonight I cooked scallops. Mm, yeah. And uh, so what I do is I get a pan really, really, really hot. And then I put the scallops on. And then, yes, my limited vision helps me because I have to flip them one by one. But they're white on a, on a black pan. Mm -hmm. A lot of contrast there. Yeah. A lot of contrast. So I use tongues. and uh, But I, the, we have an Airbnb in our house. And uh, if I cook the scallops that hot inside, the whole house would stink. Interesting. Okay. Well, another another reason why I, uh, I like you. That's good. So I'll have to <laughs> share. And I won't hold it against you on the Kamada Joe. Uh, hopefully, you won't on the, oh, big the green, green egg, egg. But you know, no, the, no, the no. Big green we, egg we, people are there. You know, we're kind of particular. Like Coke and Pepsi. Yeah, yeah. exactly. 
exactly. Yeah. But I, I, they're both great. There's nothing wrong with either of them. No, there um, isn't. It's just kind of, yeah, kind of a, just a preference of Coke or Pepsi. So, yeah. 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 Did you build a table for yours or uh, is the, or is it on the stand you bought it? I came with a stand yeah. um, and I modif- I got a table probably about 10 months after I got the uh, yeah it the makes stand all the because you got so much more room to work with and you got all you the do. you mentioned accessories my goodness there's all kinds of accessories and oh so you got to put all that God. stuff somewhere so yes. yeah my table's not big enough that's another we could probably talk a whole other podcast about my table it's a great table it just isn't yeah. isn't big enough I didn't know enough about what I was doing to to, to know what kind of table to get. I, I, I'm, I'm also pretty handy. I like to try to build things. So I may try to try to make a table. Um, I had one, one made out of stainless steel and mm-hmm. uh, with it, with a drop side table. Mm-hmm. It's huge. It's huge. I mean, it's uh, I can put all my 24 different paella dishes on it and uh, stuff. So it, it's super convenient. Well, I just will reiterate kind of that in case anybody didn't get this for, for people with visual impairment, grilling is extremely, you can grill, it happens and it's a lot easier than you might think it is because I had no idea until I really found this, uh, Chris Peltz and blind grilling on, on YouTube, just all the stuff that's available for people with, uh, visual impairment and, and lower even even no vision um, to be very very good on a yeah. grill a grill that can reach a thousand degrees i mean these things get super hot and yes they do the range of things you can cook on them um is endless anything i mean they, people could yeah. bake cakes on them which i i don't i'm not sure about that but um it's it's amazing what you can do with them and it's so it's so accessible now. I will say it's 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 also an expensive hobby, you know, if you want to consider it a hobby. So yes. you can you can spend a lot of money in that in that space, but man, it is so worth it. And, and then you get into the snobism of what coal you use. Yeah. <laughs> then there's that too. So we can yeah. talk about that. What 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 do you use? I use um, oh god, it's a red bag. Um, I don't remember. I yeah. don't see the name of it. Go, no, 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 cowboy. It's a brown bag, cowboy. Okay, you get that at like a um, like a Home Depot at or Ace, at an Ace hardware, hardware store. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What about you? Uh, just as you mentioned that, I'm trying to remember. Mine's a. Uh... Oh man. But cowboy comes in big, big chunks. Yeah, that's what you want. You want. Yeah. You know, so my my brother got on the um, on the Kamada style. He he was a, an egg guy several years before I was, and he was telling me how great it was. And he's actually the one that turned me on to Chris Pelts and Blind Grilling. But so I one year, have to look him up. One year for Christmas, my brother said, "You know what? Just get me coal for Christmas." You know, it's kind of a joke. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, "I'd I'd like lump charcoal for uh, for Christmas." Yeah. I'd love it. Yeah. Love so, it. Uh, and I, I would like lump car charcoal for uh, Christmas too. Um, trying to remember the name of the brand, man. Um, it's it's you know it's um, so Big Green Egg makes their own. There's also 
one. This is an Argentinian coal that is very, very good. And it's made from a hardwood, sort of like mesquite. Okay, that, I think that might be what I use. I just can't remember the name of it. it comes in a yeah, yellow bag. Yeah. Um, why can't I remember the name? Oh, wow. Uh, so, quick question. Do you, do you ever cook with sous vide? No, I have never done sous vide. That's well, with boiling water. And, and yeah. yeah, but that is for us. Classic. It is the right, the easy way to do awesome dishes uh, without having to have an open flame. I tell mm -hmm. also my Alexa what temperature I want mm -hmm. it on. And uh, so it, it really is uh, um, unbelievable results with uh, very accessible for us. So sous vide is kind of like the Kamado style indoor option. Indoor. That, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I have yeah. some. I have lots of friends that have have a sous vide, and I just haven't uh, haven't taken the plunge there yet. Sounds like I should give it a huh? try. Yeah, give it a try. It's worth it. And uh, even I've I've done briskets where I've cheated, and I I do the brisket and the sous vide, and then I finish it on the smoker. Wow. Okay. And uh, you can then cook it in the sous vide for like seventy hours or whatever. You right. Want. Yeah. Something ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And. Then take it out and uh, throw it in the smoker for the last two. Huh. Get the flavor of the smoke and the uh, yeah the grill. And the ring and the smoke and ring. The smoke yeah. ring uh -huh. yeah. yeah. Interesting. Takes a big pan though, right? Uh, yeah, it does. And uh, it, it, it it's also, you're limited by the size of the bag that you have. Yeah, that have too. To yeah. You have to vacuum the bag. And uh, so you may have to cut it down. It doesn't matter. I, I, yeah, you can I just cut, cut it up in pieces. Yeah, you can separate yeah. them or whatever. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Well, those are things I didn't think we'd be talking about, Andre. Neither did I. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's fascinating. Uh, okay, so we'll have to stay in touch about those things. Interesting. I'll keep you posted on my Yeah, and I have to look adventures. up your, uh, I, I mean, blind, blind grilling, right? Yes, blind grilling. Yeah. He's on YouTube. Yeah, uh, Chris yeah, Pelt, he is he is greatness. He is in the uh, Missouri uh, area of the United States and uh, Kansas City area, Missouri, and he's he's a tremendous guy just in general. Um, and and actually, uh, he gave me my big green egg. Wow! Um, yeah, that he. Um, so the video's out there. It's on my my website. It's on his website. It's on YouTube. You can find it that's one of the things that he did was he, he has, it's a nonprofit organization and he gives uh, grilling packages to, to people that have been affected by visual impairment from whatever, you know, whatever it happened. There's, there's been some military veterans, some police officers, and then for some reason me. And um, one day he showed up at my house, like unannounced. It was like, Hey, Oh, ready, God. ready to do some grilling? I, I like, just got boo <laughs> I was I was headed to work that day, and um, you know, my family and some other people around me knew what was happening, but not me. And so, yeah, um, I got goosebumps. Awesome! It is. He's a great guy, and his yeah. what he's doing is is great. And 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 just kind of, I mean, I can't understate how how it it really kind of changed my mindset of I wasn't quite sure I you know I've grilled so my vision change happened when I was about 20 and so I've certainly grilled in my life I've I've cooked on fire I've cooked on a um 
like a gas grill outside, inside, all those kind of things. But it wasn't until Chris came along with the big green egg that I really wasn't sure how I was going to cook outside. I kind of like that. That's something I stopped doing and I wasn't sure. I mean, I've, I've done it before, but it was, it took a lot of preparation and I was kind of nervous about it. And I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to cook the food the way I wanted to and all those kind of things. Um, and And he added a whole new dimension to your life. He, he changed totally a new dimension. Yeah. I mean, not even close. And, and it's interesting that you say he's from Missouri and not Missouri. Yeah, we and say that. Missouri I, out here. Yeah, Missouri. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he's a great guy. Chris Peltz, Blind Grilling. Check him out on YouTube. I'll, I sure will. But he's a big green egg guy, so just just be aware of that. But I think he, it's, he, he doesn't hold any ill will to the uh, Kamado Joe guys. You know what? Big green eggs matter. They do, and they're they're good too. Now... You have, I mentioned briefly my vision change story. You have a vision change story, which is kind of the whole reason that we're uh, connecting here. I'm I interested do. in uh, hearing your vision change story. Well, essentially, uh, in 2011, August of 2011, I, I went on a bike ride. I'm an avid, avid cyclist. I do 5,000 miles a year on my bike. Wow, that is and, a lot of, uh, that's a lot of biking. I, I'm, I'm sort of into biking myself, not anything like that, but maybe we could talk yeah, about well, that too. But go ahead. I, I commuted 16 miles each way to work, and the miles set up very quickly that way. Yeah, they sure do. And, and, and I do a ride called Ride the Rockies, which is 450 miles over the mountains of Colorado every year. And uh, I do all the big 100-mile bike rides, which we call centuries or whatever. So at any rate, I, I got to the top of the mountain ahead of my friends. My last name is Van Hall, and my cycling nickname is Van Hall and Ass. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. So you're so quick. I had, you're fast, yeah. <laughs> I was. And uh, so when I, I stopped at the top of the mountain, I didn't realize that massive changes were happening in my body because the next morning when I woke up, uh, there was something off with my eyesight. And, uh, and that scared me to no end because two years before, I similarly woke up. Something was with, off with my eyesight and uh, went to see my optometrist and they did they send me to specialists. And uh, they said I had had a TIA or a transit ischemic attack or a mini stroke of my optic nerve and that I lost the lower left vision of my left eye, but to go on with my life, that my eyesight was safe. So I left Argentina with my kids and my wife. And while I was there, the next two weeks, I proceeded to go completely blind in my left eye. Mm. So you can imagine then in 2011 when i had the exact same symptom in my right eye i was scared sure so i i went to see my optometrist and ophthalmologist and retina doctor and optic nerve doctor and 9 15 at night i was on a gurney at the local hospital with intravenous in my arm and they were trying to salvage some of my eyesight but the diagnosis was in I have non-arteritic anterior ischemic optic neuropathy, and I would be blind in two weeks. So mm. it was a shock. It was yeah. a shock. And, uh, and it's interesting because I said I went completely blind on my left eye. And uh, when I was still sighted in my right eye, I would close my right eye repeatedly if I was driving or if I was uh, riding my bike or whatever. And I would have to open it immediately because I'd say, I'm totally blind. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I perceive light. That's it. But now my left eye is my strong eye, is the one that sees the most. Mm. 
And uh, so what I thought was nothing when I still had eyesight in one eye is a gift mm. now, yeah. right? So, so having some light perception and shapes, <laughs> it allows me to travel independently and uh, to go places. I'm a speaker. I, I take 50 airplane trips a year. And uh, I couldn't do it as as uh, easily if I was totally blind. Mm. So it's uh, it's a blessing to you know. And it's interesting when we talk about blindness. What is blindness, right? And oh, what yeah. is visually? What question. is visually? It, yeah. is, it is a spectrum and a yeah far and wide and vast and, and it's hard to explain. And different people with similar acuities can see different things and. Absolutely. And the thing is, it's uh, so uh, I, 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 when I was told to be blind in two weeks and whatever, I going like, oh, God, I need to go and learn how to use a cane. And uh, so I ended up at the Division of Vocational Rehabilitation and at DVR. The lady tells me and she says, my goodness, I've got clients that have been blind for five years and are still in denial. And you still can see and you're asking for help. And, and it's because people ask me and they say, you know, isn't it horrible to lose your eyesight in two weeks? And I'm going to no, it's a blessing. I would have hated if slow progression where every morning you wake up and you open your eyes and you go, what can I not see today? You know? Yeah, that that's definitely a different way to do it. Yeah. And uh, so for me, that quick progress, yes, every day I woke up and every day I opened my eyes. And yes, every day I question, okay, what can I no longer see? But it was quick. It mm-hmm. was done. Yeah. It was over with. And uh, so, and it forced me to transition. That client that is five years blind and still in denial is the one with RP or something mm-hmm. like that, right? Yeah. Slow and, progression. Uh, slow progression. And what is the day that you say, today I need a cane? Yeah. 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 And that's kind of where, uh, when I was reading about you and, and learning about you, that's kind of where I think our, our stories are, are similar where mine was essentially overnight uh my my vision changed i went to sleep and i was in a coma for about seven days with with meningitis but when i woke up my visual change had had happened and i i don't know that you know that's it's kind of like the frog you know when you put a frog in and you know water boiling water water, water. yeah yeah so i you know i that wasn't what happened to me so i I don't know, but you know, I will tell you for me personally, um, even the shock of happening that happening, I, I was in denial for quite some time, even, even though that nothing's changing and this is what happened. And here we are, it, it's, you know, it is not just a river, uh, in Africa, you know, denial. So it, it was true <laughs> for me and it. It, it affects everybody on different levels and different times and regardless yeah. of what your situation is. But you see, that that is what my talk is about, is that uh, I, I call myself the curiosity instigator. Yeah, and I love that. Okay. I love, I mean, I, yeah. I, I mentioned that uh, I tell my kids, just be curious in life. That is that's yeah. a great way to be. Albert Einstein was asked, how come you're so smart? You know what he replied? I do because I read it in your book, but go ahead and say yeah. it. <laughs> he said, I'm not smart. I'm relentlessly curious. Yeah, I love that. I have that written down in my notes here to, to mention to you so we can cross that off the list. I actually, 
uh, borrowed that and posted it on Instagram a couple of days ago. Um, it's that's a great quote. I love that. It is a great. So that got your quiz question. So when you say your notes, you do Braille notes or uh, what? No, uh, I I you I don't read Braille. Um, neither I, do I. I decided not to to learn Braille. I I tried, but I just have I use magnification. So okay. I use for for small screens like iPhone or, or small tablets or something. I use VoiceOver for just about everything. Um, yeah. But on my computer, I have a I have a Mac and a PC, so I'm on both sides of that fence. I prefer Mac, um, but I've in the business world and things, it's been PC forever. So I'm I'm on both sides of that. But I I just use large magnification. Okay, so I, my and it's are, on a Mac. It's so easy to magnify. It is and, uh, yeah. with uh, with a just a finger slide. Now, are, are you a Window Eyes or Jaws guy? I use um, not Jaws. Um, window Eyes. No, I use uh, man. I'm having some memory issues here tonight. Maybe I need to get that checked out. I use oh Zoom Text. <laughs> I use Zoom Text, which I've used oh, for Zoom. for twenty plus years. Okay. Zoom Text is made by the people that make Jaws. Uh, so Jaws is a total screen reader, like yeah. like VoiceOver would be on a Mac, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Zoom Text, it it adds the uh, it has a reader to it, but it also uses magnification. Okay. So now let me ask you a question: Are you aware that if you go into the settings of the Mac and you go to accessibility, and you go then to voice, that there is a place where you can put a check mark? And then it'll read to you anything that is under the mouse. Yes. And uh, so I no longer, because like, again, with my limited eyesight, I can see what the text says, but I know where the text is. So I don't use shortcuts, you know, VO this and VO that. Yeah, okay. You can use the mouse and, and navigate the, around. The mouse. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I love Mac. And and again, this could this is a whole nother podcast, and maybe maybe we should do this one um, about technology and Mac. Um, I I grew up on Apple computers back in the early '90s, late '80s, and when even when I went to college, I took a a, a Mac to college with me. But my vision change happened in college, and when that happened, their accessibility wasn't a wasn't a word no. you know no voiceover was invented with the iphone yeah right so this is in, in the 2007 this is in the mid to late 90s and so zoom text was was available or very available then and there wasn't any accessibilities yeah. in windows either no um, so was, I, I started was over a thousand dollars what was that zoom text yes yes was, uh, zoom text yeah. and jaws are made the company's changed that's been acquired a few times it's now freedom scientific owns those products and they make jaws they make um well actually it's called they're called fusion now which as well as zoom text and i have a lot of issues with how zoom text works i have a lot of issues with mac accessibility and stuff too they're all good but it's just kind of what what when i need to do particular jobs one is better than another for yeah. certain yeah, tasks. No, yeah i agree yeah um but uh it i'm so i'm on both sides and you know, technology is just incredible what's happened in the last, even in the last 10 to 15 years with, with the iPhone and voiceover. But really, 20, 30 years ago, you know, I, I joke with somebody else I've had on the podcast that 
you know, this is a great time to be blind. <laughs> you know, and it's funny because what I say, people tell me that, right? And I say, yeah, but 20 years ago, they would have told you the exact same thing. Oh, there's book on tapes now. So no, right. somebody doesn't have to read to you. And all these new magnifiers, okay? In 20 years from now, they're going to be implanting stuff into exactly. us. Yep. You know, so yeah, it, 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 in the, I, I'm very happy that I have the tools that I have. And uh, it, uh, it, it truly dramatically makes my life possible. Uh, like, you know, but that's the thing that panics me. I, I told you I travel so much, right? And, and my big panic is losing my phone. Because if I arrive in, Indiana yeah. in Indianapolis and I don't have my phone, I'm done for, right? Because without voiceover, I called my Uber with it. I have my hotel reservation. And uh, I could pull out my Mac and, uh, and start to listen on the Mac. But it would my life would be dramatically uh, hard to live. Yeah. And, that, and that's the, the thing where we live and die by technology. And Yes, it is. We... Uh, chatted about this a little bit too you know a thing that happened with me a couple of weeks ago is I mean how much we, we rely on the internet and all these smart devices that we have and I my internet connection went was down for about two days yeah it's, you it's, mentioned it's a long story yeah. I won't go into yeah. that but you know just the things that you notice that you know like I have a, I have a smart sprinkler system in my house I have a smart I have a Nest thermostat as a, you know and you can't yeah. Without, I, I can stand in front of my Nest thermostat and try to see what it says and and control it visually, but I, I can't, and that's so fr- yeah. <laughs> it's so frustrating. Yes. Um, yeah. But with my phone, I can control it totally, but it requires the internet to do so. And one little slip up, one little mistake, one weird thing happens, an outage here, an outage there, power outage. You misplace your phone. You're in a different city, or you're away from home, and poof! It's like, whoa! Yeah, this is like yeah. the 1800s now. What am I going to do? And I, I, we we discussed it, and I have the exact same uh, thermostat you do, and the same sprinkler system you do, and uh, and I turn my lights on and off. Everything mm-hmm. is with my voice, yeah. and uh, you know, I can ask uh, what's who's at the front door. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's the, the, all this technology is just fascinating and, uh, it's a gift. It is a gift. And I think, you know, we have to kind of understand those kind of things and, 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 and your book, the curiosity of change, which I want to get into some of that too. Um, you talk about, you got to be humble to I do. accept change because it's, you know, it's, it's here. So what's the best way forward when, when faced with, change minor or major well it, you know and it's what you talked about is your transition into blindness right and uh, how difficult it is and, and we have to go through that period of uh, self-pity and anger and depression uh, but the thing is is that we do have a choice uh, how long and how deep we go into that it's it's our choice for me I was enormously helped that the day after I got diagnosed to be blind and I was the CEO of an organization and one of my past presidents uh, came to see me and he says, Andre, I heard you're going to go blind. I spoke with the board and they authorized me to take you to a store 
to help you buy the implements, to help you transition into blindness, you can continue to do your job. And I had absolutely not thought about that, right? I mean, I, I'm like, okay, I'm going to keep on going with my life. And when I'm blind, I'm blind and then figure it out. But he was that first spark of curiosity, that first step into saying, I need to take charge. And uh, so we went to the store. It was called, it's called Beyond Sight. It was a brick and mortar store for the blind that was here in Denver. Very, very unusual. Mm -hmm. And they had all of the toys, right? I remember back then, Braille watches. I mean, I'm talking now 10 years ago. It was the Stone Age, right? Like we were just talking. Yeah. And, uh, and one of the things they had a lot of was canes. And I started walking with a cane, swinging the cane in front of me. And the clerk comes over and says, wow, you must be new at this. I'm like, well, yes, I am. And yeah, he, we'll says, give it away. <laughs> he says, you were holding the cane in front of you. Okay. And uh, if you're blind and you hold the cane in front of you and you're walking fast and it finds an obstacle, it's going to change the pitch of your voice rather <laughs> suddenly. <laughs> oh, yeah, gotcha. <laughs> yeah. So it dawned on me that something as simple as learning to use a cane was not so simple. So I asked him, so how do I learn to use a cane? And he says, well, you're going to go to the DVR, right, the Division of Vocational Rehabilitation. They're going to give you a caseworker. I'm like, well, oh, hold your horses. I don't need a caseworker, right? Yeah. I'm in charge guy. I'm a CEO caseworker. No, no, no. Demographically, that is not me. Mm-hmm. And it, it just so happened that in Bible study, a few months before we been talking about humility, and the definition I like the best is the ability to accept help. Mm -hmm. and, and man, I was not a humble man. Mm -hmm. I did not know how to accept. So my executive team wrote a letter to the board of directors and saying, whatever Andre can't do, we will pick up the slack. And instead of being humbled by the gesture, I felt humiliated. Mm -hmm. Right? Does it sound familiar? Yeah, absolutely. R right? We can do it all. We're invincible. And uh, my wife, my children are reaching out and I'm pushing back. And uh, so it takes a lot of humility to accept that you can't do it alone. And, uh, and accept that there's a whole society that has built things to support us. And to let that happen and, uh, and to let people reach out and help you. Um, you know, and I am the, kind, the blind kind of guy. I've got a friend of mine. He's blind. He travels more than I do, okay, whatever. And he's one of these guys. I'm just like you. I don't want to pre-board the plane. I don't want to be treated differently. Go away. I'm the kind of guy that says, you put tools out there to make my life easier. I'm going to avail myself of them. I'm going to use them. Okay. Yeah, I'm a believer in that myself, yeah. But it takes time, it does. right? It takes, it takes time before you allow yourself to say, it doesn't diminish me. I, I think that humility shows your strength. And I thought it was the other way around. I thought that when humility makes you weak. Mm -hmm. It takes a while for people to understand that. Um, at least yeah. I hope that's the case because it certainly took a while for me. I think that's it's for, it's, somewhat normal. Yeah, it is. But that's my, 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 my thing is, is that, you know, the, the example I like to give is uh, you're down in Texas. So let's say you have a beautiful home on the, on the beach in Galveston Island. And the forecasters are saying there's a hurricane brewing in the Gulf. 
and the 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 show the the cone of opportunity shows it's ending for your house. Mm-hmm. And and I I like to say that that what you fear controls your life. Okay, so think about it then for days as 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 the forecasters are showing how this. This, this hurricane is aiming more and more and more for your house. And they're saying that whatever is left from the tidal surge is going to get blown away. So for days, that's going to control your life. And I'm going like, okay, so now you're kneeling in the mud of what used to be your home. And you, you're feeling sorry for yourself. You're crying and uh, whatever. And I'm going at some point in time, you're going to start to get curious to say, what do I need to do? And you're going to say, I need to file an insurance claim check. I need to find alternate housing, check. I need to find a school for the kids, check, okay? And I, that's what I call curiosity, is when you start to get curious about how to emerge from the darkness of that what you fear. And it's up to you to give yourself permission to get to be curious. I was speaking to a group, and uh, the woman, uh, one of the women in the group started crying and uh, said, well, the change that's happening in my life is that last month, my 31-year-old son died of COVID. Well, how do you tell her, well, go, come on, woman, get curious, okay? Mm-hmm. Get, you know, mm-hmm. snap out of it. But, you know, with a lot of empathy, but it told her, says, I, I, I could begin to walk in your shoes. But the thing is, societally, sometimes we feel obligated to go through a long period of mourning. Okay, and but it's up to us. We choose how deep and how long we're going to be in that cesspool of those toxic emotions. It's uh, it's a choice we make. So some people feel I, I I can never give myself permission, and I'm going like, no, get curious, get curious, and start taking initiative because. As we were talking earlier, right? Curiosity without initiative is nothing. It's just curiosity. And at some point in time, you're going to have, allow yourself to have a smile, and the smile turns into a giggle, and that giggle turns, one day you're going to laugh, and you're going to say, oh, this feels so good. Mm, yeah, those are the, that's when you get things turned around. And, yeah. And um, you, one of the things you, you mentioned in the book is the most, the 10 powerful, the 10 most powerful words in the English language. Yeah, two letter words. The ten most powerful two-letter language, uh, two-letter words in English language, are if it is to be, it is up to me. Now I didn't coin it, I didn't invent it. Mm-hmm. I love it though. But yeah, that's right. I, I, exactly. I love it. Is Talking it, about initiative. It, yeah. Well, and and so what I tell people is, says, imagine that at your workplace you make this the the motto, you make this the 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 heart of the culture of your company. If it is to be, it is up to me. Right, so that 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 everybody in the company understands if this customer is going to get satisfied, it's up to me. If this project is going to finish, it's up to me. If this plane is going to fly safely, it's up to me. So what whatever business you are, and I even feel strongly in your household with kids and a spouse. Okay, if you and your wife say, "Hey, we're going to take out the garbage fifty or fifty percent," okay, now you're counting. And, and you're pointing fingers. Today it's your turn because I took it out yesterday. Okay, and it leads to uh, uh, this discord. But if your wife says, "I'm going to be 100% responsible to take out the garbage," and you say, "And so will I." Okay, then you might have different ways. That, you know, my feeling might be I can still put a Kleenex in that garbage. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm not taking it out yet. And my wife may say, oh, this one smells too bad. It's only half full, but I want it out of here. Mm-hmm. She'll take it out. Okay. But at the end of the day, nobody is counting because we both accept if it is to be, it is up to me. And it's no different. I think with your kids, if kids understand, right, hey, there's rewards and consequences. And you've got to mow the lawn once a week. I'm not going to remind you if you do it, you get your allowance. If you don't, you get grounded. I mean, I'm oversimplifying, right? But when people understand it, you can't all of a sudden say, okay, this is a new rule, kids. As of tomorrow, this is it. No, mm-hmm. it's a cultural shift. It's a process. It's a small process of showing people that you mean it. That Because it's very easy to say if it is to be, it is up to me. But if I don't have the power to make the changes and the tools to, to alternate the culture or, or the SOPs or whatever, then I'm stuck in maybe, yeah, I want it to be up to me, but you won't let me. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Sorry, I just got on my high horse there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, you do that. Uh, the book, again, The Curiosity of Change, and it's turned into kind of a movement for you. And yes, it you, has. you speak about that kind of stuff. Uh, on your, on I your do. hour, so to speak. So that's kind of become your new thing or your thing. I yes. I, so, so I am a, a speaker on change. I'm a change management uh, uh, speaker and a motivational speaker. And uh, so I, 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 I filled with both rubrics there, with both check marks. And uh, because it's a message, what I do is, is, is in my keynote or in my workshop, um, I'm a storyteller. So I, like in my book, I tell stories, but I make them about you, right? I talk about my diagnosis, you'll be blind in two weeks, and then I turn to the audience and I say, so what's the change happening in your life? I want you to think about it. And as we progress over the next hour or the next three hours is the workshop, okay, whatever, we're going to come back to this issue, okay? And this is, it's, as we talked earlier, right, this is not a competition where my change is bigger than yours. Your brain doesn't know the difference. Your brain knows this is change. How do I handle it? And that's why my, my thing is uh, being curious, then humility, right? But then listening. It's, it's, it's a matter of listening and, and understand that uh, you need to get out there and be curious about what your people are thinking and saying whether it's your, your, your family or whether it is a vendor or a supplier or a client or an employee and hear them out. And, you know, you are in insurance. People call you at the most difficult moments of their lives, right? Yes, the yes, car got do. stolen, yeah. they got in an accident. And uh, so what they want from you is they want a sympathetic ear. They don't want you spewing rules and regulations at the beginning you listen with empathy. You want to hear their story. You empathize, okay, whatever. But you ask them questions so that they are starting to tell you what the, the real story is behind it. Yeah. So for me, that is, that, that's, that's uh, how you show your curiosity is how open are you to new ideas. And the Dalai Lama famously said that when I'm speaking to you, I'm repeating things I already know. But when I'm listening, I might learn something new. That's pretty good, too. Yeah, I, I think it's brilliant. It you is. Know? And the problem is that as parents, 
we want to talk. We want to tell our children what they did wrong instead of listening, mm -hmm. instead of asking questions, saying, what happened? Why did you do it this way? Could you have done it a different way? And ask these open-ended questions where you can guide them to understand and to see the fallacy of their way, but it's them doing the talking, not you. And, Man, uh, I didn't know I was going to get parenting advice here <laughs> on this podcast. That's incredible. Yeah, it's a much better way to do it. Yeah, because all they hear is wah, 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 mm -hmm. wah, 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 right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, but when they're doing the talking, all of a sudden it's challenging. And I know it's hard sometimes to get the kids to start talking, but just let the pregnant silence sit there and uh, and and ask the questions. And you might get, I don't know. I say, well, why you don't you know? And, and just keep putting that question. So anyway, yeah, that's a parenting side. But then you know, it's 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 um, the, the the listening skill is is then. I think vital and crucial, but also it's the ability to work with the team to encourage them with initiative. And my son uh, is an electrician. And when he was doing his apprenticeship in his first year, his foreman told him, and says, Evan, you do good work, but you show no initiative. And until you show initiative, you'll never grow. And to me, when he told me that story, it was like a slap in my face that in my career, I've done hundreds of reviews of direct reports and I never used the word initiative. And what an aha moment that is when you realize that, yeah, if you want your team to truly believe that it is up to, if it is to be, it is up to me, initiative has to be at the heart of it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Where you don't you don't allow initiative, you expect it. Mm -hmm. And that is for us uh, people going through massive changes, going blind from uh, uh, while you're in a coma and uh, going blind in two weeks or whatever it is. Okay, uh, you know your 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 IED uh, blows up or uh, you you get in the car accident, and your life changes. If you don't take initiative, the life is going to take control of you and you won't like what you see. No, you won't. That is uh, sound advice, yeah. Andre. Yeah. Um, I appreciate that. You can get plenty more of that advice in your book. Yes, it is. It, and the full title of the book is The Curiosity of Change, How to Bring, How to bring Light to the Dark Side of Change. And it's available on Amazon in both print and Kindle edition. Yeah, and that's how I consumed it was the uh, Kindle edition with voiceover on my uh, on my iPhone. So it's uh, it's a great read. It's it's a quick read. It makes a lot of sense, and it uh, really really opens up a lot of uh, new possibilities to to change the way we think and and modify how we uh, how we go through change. And um, I'm sure you're going to be on the speaking gig sometime soon. So maybe uh, maybe you're near somebody. Sometime soon too. Yes. What is who is your voice? What is your favorite uh, uh, voiceover voice? It's uh, I think it's called Siri Voice One. Okay. Uh, I don't use any of the names. I got. The, I feel like the names are too robotic. Um, Alex. Alex okay. is the is the best. It's it like eight hundred forty gig, not gig, megabyte. Yeah. It's big storage. Yeah. But it's it's worth it. So, I think um, yeah. there's like is there like four or five names in there there's a couple female and a couple there's, male voices there's probably about 30 or 40 oh okay well all right well 
if you want a German voice or a oh French yeah yeah voice. yeah right they, okay yeah. they all they yeah. all have names yeah. yeah so um I don't know who I used before it might have been Alex but within the last couple of years they Apple made the Siri voice be available for voiceover and whenever that happened I switched to whatever the okay. default Siri voice is and I a few months ago they introduced a couple new ones where it's a new Siri voices but I yeah. I like the Siri I think it's Siri voice one it's a female voice that's that's what I roll with but you know different strokes for different folks that's varieties of spice of life you know yeah, I, you know, I use a male voice and people ask me, how come I have a male voice? It's because I'm tired of women telling me what to do. <laughs> yeah, buddy, I can relate to that. Yeah, so I got a, I got a house full of women that are telling me what to do, so maybe I should switch to a male voice. Yes, um, very briefly then, in, uh, you, you said you're a uh, cyclist. Tell me briefly about what cycling you do. Well, I so grew up as a cyclist. I mean, I guess you'd call it a cyclist. I do a lot of biking, and my uh, with with my vision change, which was you know twenty plus years ago now. I I just stopped riding my bike. I did. My dad and I would my we we rode for miles and miles and miles and and up and down the hills of Ohio and anywhere in between, but. Um, uh, a few years ago, probably two years ago now, one of our kids started riding bikes, and I, didn't, I haven't had a bike in 20 years. And so all of a sudden, we got a kid riding a bike now, and you know it's pretty easy to keep up with them on their own, on a big wheel or a scooter or something where you can, yeah, you know, kind of stay with them. But sh we got on the bike, and it's like uh, looking at my wife. I'm like, um, how are we gonna do this? <laughs> So we got a, a bike for my wife and I just kind of assumed that that would be kind of the end of it. And one day I got on her bike and you know, the, the saying is true that you never forget how to ride a bike. That is and true. And I get on the bike, I can see enough to be dangerous solo on my own. And okay. within a few months I had a bike and I've logged uh, several hundred miles now in a couple years um, riding. Good for you. Um, it, it really is a, it's freeing because it freeing. there are, there are places that I can go now that I, w I don't drive. I, I'm legally blind, so I don't, I don't drive. I, I did drive for about three years between the ages of 16 and, and almost four years and 20, you know, just being able to go where you want to go when you want to go there. Yeah. Um, of course I have a range that's within a couple of miles of my house, but there's a couple coffee shops. There's a store. Some things that I can go do that really give me quite a bit of autonomy. So I try to ride my bike anytime I can. And I love your courage. That's I've, great. I've joined, there's a, a group called the, up in your neck of the woods, the United States Association for Blind Athletes, the USABA. Um, okay. They're in the, wherever the US um, Olympic stuff is in Colorado. Yeah, that is in uh, Colorado Springs. Yeah, so USABA is right there, and I've connected with them. I've had some people from them on the podcast, and there's there's blind cyclists. You know, of course, you're familiar with the the uh, tandem bicycle, and that's the what I ride position. on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I I I would do that, and I would ride great distances. In fact, as we as we record this, a former uh, guest I had on named Becky Andrews, she is on a bike from Utah to Florida. 
Good for her. And good for her. She, I keep up with her on Instagram, and she's posting pictures. Uh, it's she and her husband are riding at She's Totally Blind uh, with RP, and she's on a bike with her husband, and they're going across the country. You know what the nickname of a uh, tandem is? Not sure. The divorcicle. <laughs> <laughs> well, Becky's got that figured out because apparently I don't think they have any of those kinds of issues. But yeah, because you gotta, you've really got to understand each other. You know, if you, especially in you a do. marriage, you think you understand each other in a marriage, and then you get on a bicycle and you're like, well, we got, yeah. we got a few yeah. things we got to work on. So, you, you do have to work as a team, and it takes you some do. time. You, you touch on that on your book too. I, uh, I bought an e tandem so that my wife and I could ride. But uh, we went on three rides and we crashed three times. Mm. And, uh, we we sold it. Yeah. And, uh, but uh, so I ride with guys because I mean you know I'm 160 pounds. I'm five foot eleven, so I'm not a small guy. And uh, so my wife is uh, considerably smaller than I am. And uh, so it's very hard to and, and here in the mountains of Colorado, uh, you have to power up those hills. And uh, so I ride with guys and uh, Tom Tom Day is my captain for Ride the Rockies and all the big rides. And uh, so like today, he and I just did 40 miles today. We climbed it to the foothills and we are riding in the snow. Well, snow was all around us. It was not snowing. Mm-hmm. It was a beautiful day. But yes, it, it, on a tandem, you learn a lot about the importance of communicating or being curious about, hey, is this the right gear for you? No. Is this the right gear for you? No. Okay, whatever. And learning how to compromise mm. and how to achieve that balance and the trust you know i mean uh, we have been clocked with strava strava is a software that uh, that uh, mm-hmm. measures your rides at 63.8 miles an hour on a tandem whoa that's fast whoa that's fast and, uh, and that's trust when, uh, when a you, lot of trust when, yeah when when you're going at that speed you've got to trust each other okay that uh, he's not going to do anything stupid from the front, that I'm going to lean into the turns where we need to lean, and that we're going to tuck, and that uh, we're going to keep our center of balance, and we're not going to do something stupid, or sudden I'm going to start reaching down. I, I ride with a huge, well, not huge, but loud, loud speaker on my bike, and we listen to rock and roll. Mm-hmm. And we're the entertainment of the rides, okay? Everybody is, mm-hmm. loves ha- hanging with us because of our music. So, yeah, I derive a hell of a lot of joy in, in, from uh, biking and skiing. And uh, we have here the NSCD, which is the National Sports Center for the Disabled. Mm-hmm. And it's based out of Winter Park. And I spoke to their team. But they do an unbelievable job of uh, guiding blind skis by people with all disabilities yeah i gotta do that i so a couple of episodes ago uh a guy named chad foster on the podcast and i'm trying to remember the name of the organization it's in aspen it's called uh challenge aspen or yeah something yes, aspen I, yeah he connected with them and he he skis black diamonds and double black diamonds and he has as do, as do i yeah. a vision i mean that's amazing yeah and uh, but i don't do bumps yeah okay, okay. so i'll do a black diamond because of its steepness not because of the bumps the moguls if it's, and stuff yeah yeah i uh, i i my knees can't take them anymore well that's okay well that yeah that that that's a different thing though 
Yeah, I'm 68 years old. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> awesome. Well, I need to get up to Colorado, apparently. And uh, well, I I'd love to show you around. Sounds like there's lots of activities for me to uh, to get into. Oh, so. white white water rafting, man. Yeah, you know the the experience of rafting. Yep. And, and uh, while blind, uh, have you scuba dived? No, I've never ever no. scuba dived. Side door, oh, yeah. Inside. Yeah, have you? I I was a diver. Yeah, before I went blind, and um, I've not done it since I've been blind. And a lot of blind people find it extremely freeing because they can move around without being scared about mm-hmm. you know. But to me, ninety percent of the scuba diving is seeing the coral reefs and the mm-hmm. fish and the whatever. And uh, I was an avid, avid, avid windsurfer, and uh, so. Uh, when I was sighted, and uh, so uh, I, that's something I would love to still be able to do if I could find somebody to guide me to tell me and say, "Hey, you know, you're approaching the rocks, or mm-hmm. you're approaching a boat, or something." But uh, scuba diving does, to me, is no no longer holds the interest uh, because it's so visual. Yeah, but there's a lot of other things that do, and and Andre is the guy to uh, to answer those questions for you especially about uh, life and, and, and changes that occur. So the best way to get a hold of you, Andre, is your website, Andre My website, Van Hall. Van Hall. Yeah, yep. can you spell Van that? Van Hall is, yes. Andre is A-N-D-R-E, and then Van Hall is V as in Victor, A-N as in Nancy, H-A-L-L, Van Hall, all together, together AndreVanHall.com. Tremendous. That'll be linked in the show notes below as well so encourage everybody to go check that out andre it's been fascinating uh visiting with you and hope we can do it again sometime soon same here you said you're in the dallas area yep well if i speak in dallas sometime i'll uh yeah let ring, me know i'll be there give you a ring yeah maybe we'll fire up the green egg At, okay no problem <laughs> i'm ready all right john nice chatting with you Thanks for spending time with the Ambiguously Blind podcast. Please rate and write a review wherever you subscribe and connect and share with us at ambiguouslyblind.com.